0: to confess, like, I probably didn't pay as much attention to this cholesterol topic as I should for the longest time, mostly because I felt invulnerable and then as I started paying more attention and understanding that it's a lot more complicated than there's good cholesterol and bad cholesterol and everything else, then I started to geek out on this. Hey, before I go too far, I'm Paul Kudrowski and I'm here with Howard and, as you might have guessed, we're talking cholesterol and statin conspiracies and all kinds of good stuff like that. Maybe a good place to start is, like, how recommendations to do with targeting cholesterol have changed over the last 25 years. And it's friggin' nuts how it's changed over the last 25 years.
1: And it hasn't changed enough. It's really the scary part.
0: Mostly we were just making stuff up 25 years ago. The targets really had no empirical or clinical basis. It was just right. the lower we went, the better the outcome seemed to be. So let's just keep coming up with like lower targets. So what we just what normal cholesterol was at one point was like 280 milligrams per deciliter. It was like a, a freaking big number, and then LDL, the same thing, right? These things have been coming down, down, down. At one point, like, I don't know what we think of as normal now, but like, say, under 100, under 70 or something milligrams per deciliter or something like that. But here's the funny thing. I don't know, 50 years ago, the targets were like 130, 160. totally. (laughs) And so a lot of physicians, to
1: be fair, still think that 100 is acceptable, even though the guidelines, the cardiology guidelines have suggested a far lower number for a long time. And every paper that comes out seems to suggest the lower number. And the mere fact that we have so many people who are on statins, yet atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease remains the number one cause of death. It doesn't mean like the anti-statin crowd will claim that that LDL cholesterol is irrelevant. It means that our Targets are all. When we change the targets, yeah, we change yeah, the results.
0: There's a deep misunderstanding about the nature of it. Cholesterol is important. It's not that it's some toxin that your body is busy trying to get rid of all the time. It's a, it's a really important biological product in your body that's necessary for the purposes of building all kinds of things like cell structures and so on, right? I mean, this is necessary. It's not the issue, right? So let's not get confused about it. the issue is what kind, where, and wh- where it ends up. And that these are the these are the real questions.
1: Right. It's usually necessary. It's extremely necessary for growth of the central nervous system and nerves in general. It serves as a precursor for many hormones, sex hormones. So it's a really important molecule, but just because it's really important doesn't mean we have to have it present in excess.
0: Yeah. And in particular, the nature of it is that, I mean, the analogy I make, and I don't know if it's a good one or not, but LDL is like Let's just split it in. I mean, there's, I think there's like four or five different types of lipoproteins and I just get confused. So let's just say there's like two for now. And so if you think about low density and high density, I always think of low density lipoproteins as like being like garbage trucks that are cruising through the blood vessels that are transporting things around. And, and periodically, if there's too much in the back of the garbage truck, stuff spills out. And when it spills out, it has a tendency sometimes to attach to the walls of blood vessels and that's bad. We don't want that to happen, but if there's enough stuff in there and and the garbage trucks overflowing enough, you get enough stuff for enough time attached to cell walls and that leads to all kinds of bad things like plaques and other sorts of things that can be precursors to cardiovascular disease, right? And then the and my other side of this analogy, which is even worse, is that HDL is like a like a like a some Marvel character who's in there like cleaning up after the supervillain, doing this remedial work in terms of removing all the stuff that the garbage truck dumped all over the place. This is my, this is, this is my way of thinking about how all this stuff works. So think
1: of, think of LDL cholesterol as being transported from the gut or the liver out to the peripheral tissues. And it's traveling through the blood vessels as a lipoprotein it's lipid. So it doesn't mix well with blood and water. So it's attached to, to a protein. And in this case, it's an ApoB protein. So there's one ApoB protein attached to every LDL molecule. Those, those LDLs, lipoproteins can diffuse into and through the arterial walls. And it will do so across a diffusion gradient. So it's not like glucose, right? Glucose in our muscle cells needs a transporter usually not in all cases. So that means that it needs to be triggered by insulin that causes a transporter to move into the cell wall, which opens a gate and allows the sugar in, the glucose in. That's not the case with an LDL particle. With an LDL particle, it can diffuse into the wall of the blood vessel Yep. simply by across a concentration gradient. So the higher the concentration gradient, there is, the more LDL cholesterol, it's going to move through the blood vessel wall. Now, very often the particle will move through the vessel wall, out the vessel wall, back into the vessel and keep traveling along. It'll go back to the liver where it will get reprocessed. But on occasion, it's going to get caught in the vessel wall. It'll get oxidized, which is why when we talk about cardiac risk factors for atherosclerosis, we not only talk about cholesterol or LDL cholesterol, we talk about inflammation. But let's say this LDL particle on the wall is oxidized. Now it's annoying the body. The body doesn't like this. There's a white blood cell called a macrophage. The macrophage will see this oxidized particle inside the vessel wall and it's going to engulf it. And then it's going to engulf another and another, another, and eventually the macrophys gets sick and dies because it's engulfed too many particles. Now it's called a foam cell. Now you have all this debris sitting in the vessel wall. And yeah, because it's actually inside the wall of the vessel, it's going to narrow the lumen of the vessel because it's putting pressure on it. And this is a plaque and those plaques unfortunately, it can rupture. And when they rupture, the platelets in your blood will see that side of rupture. They'll adhere to it and clog the blood vessel. And, and there's your heart attack. Yeah.
0: Over time, all of these minor, relative, what should be relatively minor and you know, largely chance-driven things accumulate. And so you end up with more inflammation and more opportunities for plaque rupture. And it's, it's again, it's like a giant game of roulette going on inside of you where Over time, given enough opportunities, the likelihood of something going badly wrong just keeps rising.
1: If you take someone who's metabolically healthy with low inflammation, there's less chance that those particles are going to be oxidized. So the worst case scenario is someone with a moderately high LDL and metabolic syndrome, insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, etc., because then they have all these particles flowing through the vessel wall with a very high chance of being oxidized.
0: And you, whether you compare these levels to young peoples, like infants, babies, or whether you compare the, the adult human in Western societies with hunter-gatherer societies, you get a really interesting perspective on, on what normal is, right? Because these numbers are very, very different across, not just across generations in terms of developed societies, but also across societies in terms of developed versus less developed, suggesting that there's a bunch of different factors going on here. Because we used to say that the, the main way of treating this sort of thing was, Im- was improving your diet, and it's a lot more complicated than that.
1: There's a lot of genetics involved as well. A lot of people who are walking around with SH, or familial hypercholesterolemia, which is a genetic predisposition that causes right. genetically based high levels then we have people like you, right? Who take nothing and your levels are super low.
0: I didn't do anything right, so.
1: A lot of people claim, oh, you need cholesterol to keep your brain healthy, your neurons healthy, et cetera, And if you lower it too much, you'll get dementia. That's not true. Yeah. The babies are born with an LDL cholesterol of 20, 30, 30 milligrams per deciliter. And that is the period of our time where we are growing our brain at the largest, most rapid rate. And they are obviously able to grow their brain quite well, despite having a cholesterol of 20 to 40 milligrams per deciliter. So the contributions to dementia, there's, there's an interesting side note that, that would, that we should talk about. Now, there are a lot of sterols in our body and cholesterol, precursors like Desmosterol and there's been a lot of attention on Desmosterol because a lot of people are taking Trazodone for sleep, especially. So Trazodone shuts down the synthesis or the conversion of the, the immediate precursor of Desmosterol to Desmosterol. And it turns out that this increases the risk of dementia It is something that Tom Dayspring talks a lot about. So yeah, I do recommend sterile tests and desmosterol level checks because that may be a precursor to dementia, but it's not really- a
0: really good piece, I think it was in the British Medical Journal this week, talking about this increase in the percentage of British adults who are on various antidepressants and sleep medications, including right. obviously trazodone. It was something like- This is the end of the free public preview of the Simplavita podcast. For the full podcast, including a transcript and show notes, you can upgrade at simplavita.com. The practice of medicine or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of information on this podcast or materials linked from this podcast is at the user's own risk. Content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their healthcare professionals for any such conditions. We will not respond to requests for medical advice.